today on the Arts Report. A preview of events, live events at CITR. Uh, East Van Band Blackberry Wood performs at the Legion. Musicians Sean Anderson gives his impressions of Red Jam Slam. And poet David Z. Roth contemplates maturity after his Relit Award nomination. Stay with us. Hello and welcome to the Arts Report for August 25th. Um, I really love that intro music. It always gets me moving in the studio. And um, it's by a band called uh, Pigeon Park, which was on the show uh, a few weeks ago. And they actually recorded that uh, live um, just uh, just for us. That is exclusively our theme song and nobody else's. So that's pretty awesome. Um, okay, so welcome to the show. You're listening to us on CITR 101.9 FM. Uh, you may also be listening to us on the interweb at SCITR.ca, or you could be listening to us from the future in uh, podcast form. Hello to you, if that is the case. Can we can we close the door? Can we do it? Thanks. <laughs> I'm uh, not talking to myself. I swear. Um, okay, so um, on today's show uh, we have. Mm, nice doors, slamming sound, I like it. Um, on today's show, we are going to uh, cover a few things. Let me tell you uh, about them briefly. Um, we're going to uh, discuss uh, the live events that CITR will be participating in over the next uh, weeks. Over the next weeks, uh, there's some exciting uh, festivals and music events happening, and CITR is going to be there live, and uh, there's so many that um, that we thought we'd sort of uh, give you uh, a preview of, of some of them. Uh, we'll also have an interview with Blackberry Wood, which is a band from right here uh, in Vancouver, and um, they will be at the Legion. Nick Panu has an interview with them. Um, Red Jam Slam was also on the weekend and um, featured many exciting events, uh, including uh, a lot of music. Uh, including the artist Sean Anderson, who was there and uh, told us about uh, how it went. And he also told us about um, uh, uh, stealing footage from the uh, zombie walk on Saturday and using it for a music video. So we'll hear about that. And we also have uh, David Zeroth, who is not only a poet, but is a former professor of creative writing at uh, Douglas College, um, who who has had many illustrious uh, students, including myself. You'll hear more about that uh, later. Uh, he's been uh, nominated for a Relit Award for his book of poems called The Fall in Autumn. And, uh, yeah, so we have a, a very exciting show, and we should really just get to it. So, uh, first up, I have with me in studio Bronwyn Loden, who is our live broadcasting coordinator. How are you today? I'm very well. How are you? Excellent. Thanks for coming in to uh, tell us about all the exciting events. That's okay. So, uh, let's get right to it. Um... Tell us about um, what we have in the next few weeks in terms of um, in terms of goings on in Vancouver that uh, CIGR will be at. Sure. Uh, so the next one that's scheduled is on Friday, September third, from seven thirty until nine p.m. We'll be broadcasting live from the Dr. Sun Yat-sen Classical Chinese Garden. Um, they have an enchanted. They have a concert series called Enchanted Evenings, mm-hmm. where every Friday night throughout the summer they have different bands come in and play in the garden. It's a really lovely garden. It's a very nice setting, very small, intimate concerts. And this one on September third will feature the band Plow, um, who are a kind of folksy, bluegrassy band. Mm-hmm. And it is the final uh, concert for the concert series. 
Okay, and what will we be doing there? Uh, we'll be going along and we'll have a, a live feed straight out of the board that'll come back to the station and we'll be playing that live. So if you can't make it to the concert, this is the very next thing to, uh, very next best thing to being there. Great. What else do we have? On Sunday, it's um, Sunday, September 5th, so right in the middle of the Labor Day long weekend, is the Victory Square block party. And we are going to be broadcasting live for the duration of the whole block party from 2pm until 9pm. Mm. We've got um, four of uh, CITR's favourite hosts going to be there on site hosting different portions of the day. And we'll have uh, live music. Uh, live comedy as well, straight from the stage, uh, interviews with artists and people who organise the festival and other people who are just there. So it'll be a really great way to get a sense of what's going on, again, if you can't make it down there yourself. Or if you go and then later on you want to relive it all again, you can uh, listen back to it because all of our live broadcasts are podcast on citr.ca. Awesome. And that is, uh, when is that again? That is on Sunday, September 5th. Then also on Sunday, September 5th, it's going to be an incredibly busy day. The Odyssey nightclub downtown oh, is a, closing down. Day. It's the same day. Okay. So from 10 until midnight, um, we'll be broadcasting live from there. And that's going to be hosted by Aidan Saint, who is the new host of Queer FM, which is on Sundays from 6 to 8. And tell us what uh, tell us a bit about, excuse me a bit of background uh, about the Odyssey closing down. Yeah, sure. So the Odyssey's been around, I think, for about twenty five years. Um, and in May two thousand and eight, it first heard that its lease was being terminated um, because of a joint city province venture to create one hundred and ten units of supporting house supportive housing for HIV positive people on that site. And they've sort of, for the past two years, I guess, have been getting little extensions and little extensions and staying open. But now they've kind of run out of time and they're closing down. And so they're having one huge, big final party. Mm-hmm. And uh, as part of that, they'll have Joni, the host of Feather Boa Sundays, which is the longest-running drag show in Vancouver, there to do a big final farewell show. Wow. So, Should yeah. be fun. And then, uh, okay, give us a, a rundown of a few others. Sure. So that week is actually a really busy week because it's the first week back for all of the students here at UBC. So there are tons of events happening on campus. And being a campus station, we want to have a strong presence at those. On on Monday, September 6th, from about 5 till 7.30, we'll be broadcasting live from a barbecue at the Vanier residence. It's a welcome barbecue for all of the first-year students uh, going to that residence. Uh, we'll have CITR DJs on site DJing for all the people there, and so we'll be broadcasting some of that live, along with interviews with campus-related people, so people from student life and people that can tell all the students who've just come to UBC what's going on, where they need to go, and what they should really check out. Mm, excellent. Now, um, there's, there's actually a lot more, but uh, I want to kind of skip ahead to uh, one event that's uh, coming up on September 15th, which uh, until now has been extremely top secret. But um, <laughs> now that you're here, Bronwyn, maybe you can um, sort of uh, rip the lid off of this, uh, this uh, secretive event and, and tell us what it is. Okay, sure. So September 15th is right in the middle of the Vancouver International Fringe Festival and we'll be broadcasting live on Wednesday, September 15th from 4 till 6pm a very, very special, super special live edition of The Arts Report. The Arts Report? Yes, hosted by you. Yes. (laughs) So we'll be doing a a special two-hour broadcast right from the, uh, the heart of Granville Island. So it's 
fantastic timing for anyone who uh, wants to go along to the fringe because we'll have we'll we'll have had a little bit of time to go mm-hmm. and check out some of the place for ourselves and then give you our expert opinions mm-hmm. on what you should definitely go and see and you'll still have that whole weekend to go and do it. Yeah, and um, we're going to try to uh, have some fun as well and, and do a bit of a, a, a talk show uh, format and try to engage the uh, the people on the streets and um, have some interesting guests, even some performances, uh, which will all be free and accessible to anybody who wants to come down to Granville Island. So the secret is out. It's official. All right. Well, thanks, Bronwyn, for uh, for um, um, telling us about all these things that you're doing. I don't know how you how you sleep at night with all this work to do with live broadcasting. <laughs> how do you, how do you do it? I don't know. I'm a very heavy sleeper. It's fine. <laughs> you just crash and then you're out. Yeah. Nice. It's a good skill to have. Um, right. Thanks for coming. Oh, that's it. More. One more thing that yes. I will add is that um, I don't expect people to remember all of these events. I've right. been written down somewhere, so I remember them. Uh, but I do update the CITR website. So if you're feeling curious about what's going on, just go to citr.ca and you can find out all about what we're doing in terms of live broadcasts and everything else for that matter. There you have it. So uh, when we come back, we'll talk to... Oh, God, who will we talk to? We'll talk to Sean Anderson uh, and the Red Jam Slam. So stay with us. Hello, micro. We're at 8,000 feet. Television cold and I'm bored stiff. What about putting on a hot Granville record to cheer me up? Hello? Hmm? Hello? Uh-huh. Is this Harlem 77711? Hello, fellas. This is Duke Ellington. Ah, uh, get it. Pause. Let's get sweet and hot. In the opinion of hot music critics, Count Basie has one of the best dance orchestras in the country. King of the clarinet, Artie Shaw, and his orchestra making dance history in the Blue Room of the Hotel Lincoln in New York City. Every Thursday from 10 till noon, join me, your host, Charles Burnham, for Sweet and Hot, a celebration of the 78 RPM record, the three-minute masterpiece, and the golden age of North American songwriting. Hot jazz, swing, and popular music from the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. That's every Thursday from 10 till noon, here on CITR 101.9 FM. All right, we're back on the art support with me, Adam Janusz, and now we're talking Red Jam Slam. Um, if you missed it, this was uh, last uh, Saturday, and uh, it was a whole day of, um, of events at the W2 Sturium, and uh, the evening portion featured tons of uh, music, tons of bands and artists. And the early part of the day had uh, several panel discussions, including one uh, for First Nations broadcasters in Canada and also a truth and reconciliation panel. One of the uh, artists who was featured in the um, event was Sean Anderson. Um, He uh, performed and uh, was really wowed um, by the whole thing, loved it. Um, he couldn't, uh, as you'll hear in the interview, he couldn't make the uh, the panel discussions because uh, he went to the zombie walk here in Vancouver and uh, took advantage of the uh, of the scene to film a uh, music video. So he was very busy that day. Uh, we caught up to uh, Sean in uh, Alberta, where he currently lives, and um, as you'll hear. 
Um, he is a Métis artist who is by no means uh, exclusively defined uh, by that term and um, is uh, quite inspired by spirituality in his music. So uh, without further ado, here's Sean Anderson. I guess before we start, I just want to ask you, uh, where, where have we reached you today? Uh, you reached me at uh, Fishing Lake Métis Settlement. This is where I, uh, I stay right now. So. Yeah, let me ask you about that because it says that that's th- this is where you're from, right? Uh, yes, it's where I'm from. I'm curious, what's uh, what's uh, Fishing Lake Métis Settlement like? Well, it uh, it has a population of 700 people, so, and it's pretty uh, isolated up in uh, northern Alberta. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, I don't know, it's there's really I don't know. I chose my profession because there's nothing else to do. <laughs> and I could easily pick up a guitar and easily play for hours a day when I was uh, when I was younger. So, so that was busy. that was sort of your your in and into music is just uh, lack of uh, lack of fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah lack yeah. of fun, and then that and my uh, my family's uh, musically inclined. So everybody plays something in my family. So I want to ask you about uh, Red Jam Slam. Yes, that was. An amazing experience. Yeah, tell me, tell me about that. Give us uh, for folks who uh, weren't able to make it. Uh, tell us about the sort of sights and sounds. Okay, well, it started like at 11 a.m. in the morning. That was like the radio broadcasters' uh, uh, section of the whole Red Slam Jam. Like all the local radio people would meet up and just, I guess, talk and like uh, share their opinions on radio bra- broadcasts. And for the music portion, it started at five, which there was a lot of amazing artists. Like uh, easily, Brandy McCallum was one of the one of the hits there, and uh, same with Oz Twelve. They were so amazing. They're they're just good. I played at seven, by the way, mm-hmm. and uh, I played the half an hour set full of uh, original music and uh, one cover. It was just all good. Like the the vibe and everything was. I don't know. It just seemed so welcoming. And uh, did you manage to take in the uh, the panel discussions at all? Uh, actually, earlier that day, I was on uh, working on a music video shoot for Oslo. Okay. Yeah. So tell me about that. Well, that Saturday, I think it was Saturday, uh, a zombie walk happened down in downtown. Right. On Robson Street. So we took advantage of that, and uh, we filmed like all the zombies. I can't give away what the plot is for the music video. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say it involves zombies, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned in, a, in your bio about um, about spirituality several yeah. times, and I wonder how that plays into your music. And I wonder if that's sort of um, a, a sort of a thesis or a sort of goal of your your music making is to um, sort of get uh, in touch with spirituality. Well, it just comes out naturally in my music. I don't actually plan on what I'm gonna be like what I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Until it actually comes out, so everything is without planning. I play something, and if lyrics come out, that's what they are. And I gotta like, uh, I look back at them after when it's all done, and then I figure out, okay, this is what it's about. It's like, uh, I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's just the feeling. You know? mm-hmm. And it's just there. It's not something you necessarily try to, to cultivate. It's just... Yeah, happens. it's just there. And if it's, like, at the the rim of my existence, I don't know, it's just... It's ready to come out. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and I wonder to what extent you identify yourself as a, as a Métis artist versus just, uh, you know, a normal, regular, uh, non-identified artist. And I wonder, um, you know, do, do you worry about sort of being uh, pigeonholed in, in sort of one category or another, or do you... Yeah, that's the, that's the biggest thing with yeah. me. Yes, I am Métis, and it's really important to me, but music is a universal language. It's not aiming towards this culture of people or this culture of people. It's meant to be for everybody. Great, and uh, I just want to ask about um, what's uh, what's in the works. What's uh, what's ahead? Uh, when will the uh, the music video be out? Yes, uh, actually, we are working on a music video right now. I think it's going to be for uh, the song "Tonight Turn Away," and uh, that should be done in the next. I don't want to really give a specific date because all of us have like other jobs. <laughs> <laughs> So it's going to be out probably by the end of this month. And where can people uh, get that? Uh, will it be on YouTube or uh, It'll definitely website? be on YouTube. It will be on my Facebook page. It will be on my Reverb Nation page. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to post it everywhere you possibly look. Great. And any, um, any touring or anything like that ahead? Um, well, I believe I'm coming back to Vancouver in a couple months, and I'm going to be planning out some shows there because we are filming another music video for this song, Shine. So it's, yeah, it's in a couple months. I don't know exactly when, mm-hmm. but I'll let everybody know. Okay, great. Well, thanks for uh, speaking with me today. Thank you. That was Sean Anderson, and he was featured at Red Jam Slam on the uh, previous weekend. And if you want more information or you want to keep up on all these music videos that uh, that he's been making, then check out his website. The address is www.reverbnation.com slash note to self, as in the number two, note to self. And uh, there you will find some of his uh, music, uh, including this song, which is called Hope is Alive, a song for Katie.
ITR 101.9 FM is proud to support the Enchanted Evenings concert series at the Dr. Sun Yat-sen Classical Chinese Garden in downtown Vancouver. Delight in the sounds of world music performed in this exquisite Ming Dynasty style garden. Coming up in August and September, Vandango on August 27th and Plow on September 3rd. Performances start at 7.30pm. For tickets, call 604-662-3207, extension 210. That's the Enchanted Evenings Concert Series at the Dr. Sun Yat-sen Classical Chinese Garden. Go to citr.ca for more information. Hey, we're back on the Arts Report. Sorry for that bit of uh, dead air there. That's, uh, that was thanks to our Windows computers. Yes, Microsoft Windows computers um, and their, their uh, moments of, um, of stillness that, that, they, that comes over them. Um, all right, so a uh, question for you. What does the poet Elizabeth Baczynski and I uh, have in common? Well, we both uh, did a creative writing course with uh, David Zeroth at Douglas College. And uh, both of them are actually now uh, nominated for uh, Relit Award, for the Relit Award. Let me tell you about the Relit Award. Um, three Vancouver poets have been nominated for the 2010 Relit Awards long list. Uh, David Zeroth has been nominated for his Governor General award-winning book, The Fly in Autumn. Jillian Jerome for her debut book of poetry entitled Red Nest. And Elizabeth Baczynski for her celebrated collection, of go uh, collection God of Missed Connections. The Relit Awards, ideas, not money, were founded in 2000 and celebrate new work released by independent Canadian literary publishers. Relit is short for regarding literature, reinventing literature, relighting literature. Ah, very nice. So, I spoke to David Zeroth earlier today, and uh, we talked about um, students and teaching, specifically um, how dealing with um, semester after semester of um, short stories and, and poets uh, or poems by students, how that affects the, uh, the psyche of a, of a professor and a poet. And um, as well, we get into some other topics such as... Um, such as maturity and uh, whether there is um, something great about getting older and wiser and more mature. So um, here is that interview, if Microsoft Windows allows it, that is, of course. Get started. Okay. All right. First off, uh, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. So uh, how many years did you teach at Douglas? Uh, 25 years. 25 years. Yeah. And uh, in that time and all those students, all those courses, I'm sure you see a lot of uh, great work and a lot of not so great work. And I wonder what that effect uh, it has on your writing. Does it, uh, does it, does it uh, make you sick of words and stories <laughs> by the end of the day or does it uh, inspire you? Uh, well, it does all, all, everything that you can imagine <laughs> it does. I've, I've retired. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not teaching anymore. So... Uh, I retired in 2006, I guess. Um, well, you know, the thing that happens is that you have such, you have some very good students. Everybody remembers those students who who were really inspiring and that went on to do other kinds of writing. Like, for example, Liz Bashinsky, Elizabeth Bashinsky. Oh, okay. She's also been nominated for a Relay Award. She was one of my students. I mean, I wasn't the only teacher she had, of course, but she was one of my students and. It's very gratifying to have students like that. And 
in terms of just the volume of work that you you have to read as a teacher, sometimes you kind of wear out on that. But uh, it's always exciting to have students who are discovering stuff at the, for the first time, and you know that makes it all worthwhile, and it it activates your own interest as well. Mm-hmm. The uh, the course that I took was I think introduction to to uh, short stories maybe oh, yeah, and fiction. yeah yeah sh- short fiction and uh, 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 the format of the course I guess was a lot of sort of workshopping a lot of uh, you know discussing right. discussing a lot of sharing right. um, with each other's work um, I noticed also in a in a recent interview you said that you you've done that with your work you do that you you share it with other poets and yes. and you have uh, a very strong relationship with your editors yeah. so. Do you think that for, for a writer, that's a very important sort of uh, piece in the puzzles being a good writer, is a lot of sharing? Well, it depends on the writer, and it depends on the individuals who share it with, of course. I mean, I know some writers who never do that at all. Really? They, they just write the stuff, and they send it out, and then they work with one editor, or they'll work with, you know, maybe two people. Um, so I, I'm, uh, I'm really um, grateful to have a handful of people whose work... Who I who I send my work to almost all the time, mm-hmm. and because they tell me things that I don't see and that I can't see as a writer, you just you know you're you're too close to it. Um, these are mostly writers themselves, mostly poets. Uh, there's about four or five of them, uh, and um, I'm very grateful for that to have that uh, that that chance. A couple of those people in that group, they themselves don't necessarily share work mm-hmm. um, uh, but uh, but some of them do so there's a back and forth with different kinds of poems and uh, and then when it gets to the editor the, when the editor looks at it the editor really does see it in a different way from the writer uh, and adds another layer of, of um, sort of knowledge and insight mm-hmm. and that helps a lot uh, I, I mean I'm very grateful to editors and people who read my work um, so you've won the uh, the Governor General's Award for uh, the Fly in Autumn, um, and I'm I'm curious about. Obviously, it's gotten attention. It's gotten um, critical um, attention, and I, and I just wonder to what extent in your writing do you do you consider other people? In the sense, are, are you writing just for yourself, and you never really care if anybody uh, picks up picks it up and acknowledges it, or or is that something that's sort of like the sweet spot when you when you get something like this that that you know that you've sort of uh, hit the nail on the head. Well, that's a good question. It's an interesting question because I think I think it changes as as you go through life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, in in terms of writing for yourself, I think initially you have to be writing for yourself because I mean, when you first start writing the poem, when when the idea comes to you, or the image, or the thought, or whatever it is, the inspiration, whatever you want to call it, that gets you going, that takes you along the path towards the golden, along the golden thread towards wherever you're going to go, it has to be for yourself, um, and then you have to sort of see, does this poem work for other people, or is it just a desk poem? It's just a poem that's just going to stay in your desk, <laughs> and uh, it doesn't mean it's a bad poem, it just means that nobody's going to get it, uh, so it's that kind of thing. And then in terms of writing for, for and then in, I, part of your question, I guess, is what is it, how is it affected, mm-hmm. uh, my writing? Um, in some ways, not too much, because uh, I've been writing for a long time, and so the process is pretty well underway. And I, I'm, you know, if I had won this award maybe, uh, say, 20 years ago, I might have 
you know, something else might have happened. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't feel that that's going to happen now. And, I, and I, I generally speaking don't read reviews because, of course, the reviews are for other writers or other readers. They're not really for me. They, I've never had a review really that taught me anything about my own writing. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, I mean, they're not intended to, to do that. They're more interested in... The reviewer is is aimed at readers, mm-hmm. and this is what you're going to be... You know, here's what you should read. You should either read this book or you shouldn't read this mm-hmm. book. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, the re- some of the reviews that, for for whatever reason, I've had to read... Uh, they've been pretty good, and, and I've been pleased about them. But I find that it's just not really, it's not really for me. The, you know, it doesn't really help me. It just sort of mm-hmm. sometimes isn't useful in that way. The, you say you've been writing for a very long time, and one of those things that uh, you've written is the book How I Joined Humanity at Last. And uh, then also uh, you've, written, you've uh, said in an interview that um, sort of uh, being older, being mature uh, has helped you sort of... Um, absorb uh, the win and sort of keep you steady uh, with the GG Award. Um, I wonder, do you find something sort of comforting about uh, about maturity, about getting older? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, by definition, you're supposed to be wiser. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that's true or not is another thing. But uh, uh, I think it, what, what being older, mature is a different word you know you can be young and mature mm-hmm. and old and immature but being older means that you get more focused and and things you know i'm more interested in my writing i'm more interested in reading i'm more interested in my family i'm more interested in travel and then that's about it mm-hmm. you know you can't do a whole lot of other things uh you don't have the energy and you don't have the desire so there is a comfort in getting uh to the point where things become clearer about in terms of where your life is, what your life means, where you want to be with your life, how you want to how you want to live it. Would you go so far as to say that the time of the time in your life that you're at is is the best? Well, it's pretty darn good. <laughs> I, I don't know about the best. The best <clears throat> is yet to come, as somebody in some pop song yet said. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's pretty good. Yeah, you know, when you're in your when you're younger, like in your twenties, you don't know what's going on, and in your thirties, you're you're scrabbling to find that and in your 40s you begin to wonder what the heck because of course you know pretty soon you're you're 40 and then you're freaked out by that and (laughs) meanwhile you have to work and you're raising a family and all kinds of things are going on and it's like you don't have time to to reflect much or if you do then you're losing money or something you know Mm -hmm. so life can be pretty fraught um and being retired is is i mean by older i uh, I mean, I'm retired, so I don't have to get up every day and go to work. I get up every day and work, but I don't have to go out to work. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to drive, and, I, you know, I don't have a car anymore, and I've given all that stuff up. And it's, it's, a, it's a different, it's, it's quite different, and in, in many ways it's, it's quite wonderful. It doesn't mean like some days you just want to, you know, you just feel, oh, God, it's all whatever, and you don't feel great, but, but overall it's pretty good. Could, could you describe the fly in autumn? Because uh, you know, I understand. You know, a book of poems is not a, you know, not a simple narrative that you can just sort of, you know, it's about a man who who discovers something and then, <laughs> you know, lives happily right. ever after. Um, can you give us a sort of uh, sure. an impression of it? Uh, well, uh, the book is characterized by I think two aspects. One is um, a kind of panic. 
mm-hmm. because of course one is getting older and it is, it is a fly in autumn as opposed to spring mm. so there is a um, there is a there is an obsession with death and dying there is that aspect to it but it doesn't mean it's gloomy at all because at the same time I think there's a certain kind of jauntiness to it as well uh, kind of you know okay so this is happening but it's going to be all right at, at least in some of the poems as well, some of the poems are uh, very definite, uh, have a very definite form. They're heroic sestets, which means they have a rhyme scheme, and they, it's A, B, B, A, C, C, and there's three, uh, you know, six lines of three stanzas each. And so that, uh, that particular form, which I kind of fell into, I'd always been avoiding form all my life. I never thought, I thought I was above it. Actually, I, <laughs> I thought I couldn't do it. And and so um, I still can't do sonnets. And these are supposed. These forms are supposed to. This form I'm supposed to be uh, iambic pentameter, but that's beyond me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that adds a certain liveliness to it as well. And some of them are quite funny, I think, uh, in a dark, uh, kind of absurd way. Yeah, tell me a bit about what's the, what's the absurdest twist. Can you give us an example, maybe? Um, well, gee. <laughs> uh, um, the absurdest twist. Well, you know, <clears throat> life life is life is absurd. There mm. is that absurd quality to it, where you're where one thing happens and and you know it, it's seen at another level. Uh, do I have time to read a poem? Um, Probably to be not. honest, no. <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's absurd. I guess the absurd is in the in the way things are seen on one hand and the way somebody else might see them slightly differently. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is, life can be pretty absurd. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take much to, no, to see no, that. No, no, it doesn't. Yeah. All right, well, thanks very much. Thank you. All right. Talk to you later. All right, thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, that was David Zira. Sorry for all the... There's a lot of weird sounds in that interview. There's a lot of clacking and uh, and chair bending. Uh, that interview was done in our uh, newsroom, which is a, a very busy place. A lot, of, uh, a lot of things are happening there, so apologies for that. Um, if you want to check out the book, The Fly in Autumn, a good place to go is harborpublishing.com. Harborpublishing.com is where you can find um, The Fly in Autumn and even buy it. Um, it's 18.95, and you can get that at the website, which is harborpublishing.com. Um, also, uh, a quick little tidbit about David Zeroth. When he won the Governor General's Award, um, he said he would use the, um, the prize money to, quote, pay off debts, fix my teeth, and travel. And um, I can uh, safely tell you he has done all three. Okay, so when we uh, come back... After this short break, we will talk about, let me see here. Ah, yes, Blackberry Wood, which is a local band that will be performing um, in a few weeks. So stay with us. UBC's Museum of Anthropology displays long-term and visiting exhibits of indigenous art from around the world. And guided tours are free. Our permanent collection features one of the world's finest exhibits of Northwest Coast First Nations art. Our collection includes 36,000 ethnographic pieces, 535,000 archaeological pieces, and over 600 pieces in the Kroner Ceramics Gallery. There's a lot to take in. Luckily at the Museum of Anthropology, final exams are always take home. If you've never checked out this world-class facility, now's your chance. 
Museum of Anthropology is located right on campus and free for all UBC students and faculty. Come enjoy our collection and resources. We are back on uh, CITR 101.9 FM. It's the Arts Report with me, Adam Janusz. Um, there, I see there, there's a caller, and um, uh, thanks for calling in, but um, I, can't, I can't take the phone right now because I'm, uh, I'm doing the show. But if you want to call back during the next break, uh, I'd be happy to answer the call. Um, okay. So uh, before we get going with the, uh, the rest of the show, uh, I want to share with you something that's going on in our neck of the woods um, that's been put up on the New Yorker blog. Uh, this comes from uh, Twitter, um, thanks to uh, Stop BC Arts Cuts. Stop BC Ar- Arts Cuts, one word, um, on Twitter. And um, <laughs> what they wrote uh, on Twitter was, sorry, off topic, but every day BC becomes more and more of a cultural laughingstock. And then there's the link to the New Yorker. So I had to look at this, what this was, and uh, I printed it out for you. Uh, let, me, let me clear my throat. <clears throat> Censorship to our way of thinking, is generally bad news. Is there ever a good reason to ban a book? Maybe not. But the cause for a recent Canadian ban on Annabelle Lyons' The Golden Mean strikes us as particularly silly. BC Ferries, a maritime transportation service in British Columbia, has removed Lyons' novel from its bookshops, not because the author penned a controversial scene or racy bit of dialogue, but because the paperback's cover art features a naked man's rear end. BC Ferries spokeswoman Deborah Marshall explained the decision not to sell the book, which is published by Random House, because, quote, we're obviously a family show and we've got children in our gift shops. We had suggested we could carry the book if there's what's called a belly band wrap around the photo, end quote. Um, you'll have to check out the New Yorker blog for, uh, for the rest of that uh, embarrassing um, post um, that uh, people all over the world are reading about uh, BC and BC fairies. Um, I'll just read you uh, the, the comment from the author um, who said her own response to the ban seemed equally apt. The book will not be available in, at BC Ferries stores. She writes in a blog entry, quote, since the trade paperback still features a bare bum on the cover. Oh, BC Ferries, you have one too. You know you do. End quote. And that was uh, from author Annabelle Lyon. And if you want to see this really offensive uh, picture of the bare bottom, uh, just Google the golden mean. And uh, click on images, and um, you'll see just how, just how terribly racy and destructive to our youth it is. Of course, you'll see that it's not at all. It's extremely tasteful and um, not remotely pornographic in any stretch of the word. But um, but yeah, thanks to Stop BC Arts Cuts for that little link that uh, that shows how BC is a little bit crazy. Okay, so um, the band Blackberry Wood. Um, shared uh, the stage in 2009 at Glastonbury with Lady Gaga. Now they're sharing a microphone with Arts Report contributor Nick Panu. Um, Again, if I can get the computer to cooperate, we'll be able to hear that interview. Here we go. Oh, sweet honey, vixen, you that I've been missing, missing all your kissing. Oh, sweet honey, vixen, you got me kicking. 
Uh, the main stage last night in the main hall, we got to witness, we got to see Blackberry Wood perform. And uh, it is our pleasure right now, mine and the listeners, to be speaking with Chris Mitchell, uh, lead vocals and uh, performer for Blackberry Wood. How are you doing? And thanks for taking the time to do this interview. <laughs> I'm doing awesome. It's uh, this is a beautiful festival to be involved with, and um, it's the next day right now, and we're just chilling out, listening to um, a bunch of uh, beautiful music in the middle of the mountains in a in a park. And it's gorgeous. Yeah, last night was super fun, and uh, yeah, it was a. It, a beautiful hall, huge wood hall, and it was jam-packed full of people and everybody's bouncing up and down. Super fun. Yeah. You travel abroad uh, to Europe. Uh, you do a lot of gigs there and then yeah. uh, the, the main venues in Vancouver and uh, all over Canada, BC. Everybody talks how, how special the, the vibe is here in Wells. How do you compare? Like, like you've performed so many different places. How does this compare to other places you've, the band has performed? Well, it's, well, surrounded by the mountains and, you know, just smelling the clean air and everything like that. It's just, uh, that's one of the main things. Um, and the people. Um, there's a lot of musicians at this festival. And it's uh, a lot of people... Um, you know, like, it's really nice when your audience is full of musicians and, and you know that they're working hard to make, to make beautiful music and, and they're enjoying your music. So it makes you feel really special about what you're doing because um, you know that the, you, you really respect the people that are, that are listening to you. So, you, you know, you, you're just overwhelmed by the fact that they are appreciating what you're doing. And everything. So that's what I think is one of the biggest special things about this festival is that uh, there are so many musicians here. Yeah. So many aspects to your live performance. Well, one thing is uh, I, I didn't know how to find you because you're, you're without your makeup right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of times we look very different when we uh, hit the stage than we do wandering around. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I don't know. I, I've always found that performing and going on stage and stuff has been sort of like this, almost like opening a door or something. And you, you just open this door and like you walk through and you're in this, you're in a completely different place and you just totally leave behind everything that you've. Uh, so part of part of what you know what we do a little bit with the costumes and everything like that is a bit of that where it's just like we leave the rest of the world behind when we hit the stage, sort of thing. You hear about uh, you know artists, uh, musicians, and, and actors too. They like to step out of themselves yeah. and and become a character. And do you think that really enhances the, the band's performances? Gives you that energy, that conviction when you're really able to step out like that and play those different roles on stage? Yeah, it does. But then also, it's almost like a it's a natural it's a natural occurrence as well, where. It's almost beyond your control sometimes. Yeah. You just step out on stage. And for me, I mean, it's something that I enjoy. So it just, it almost, like, st starts itself up. Uh, it all goes, like, it, like, 
the energy and everything like that all comes from the fact that I'm having fun, basically. So it just it self perpetuates itself <laughs> and winds itself into a little <laughs> cyclone and and goes from there, <laughs> jumps up and down and stuff like that. <laughs> there was this uh, intimacy between uh, what you were doing on stage and everybody was connecting to it. Super fun show, man! It was a super fun show. It like was way beyond what I thought the show would would be um, and I really like shows like that it's just um, it's great because then it's almost like the show takes takes itself away like some shows are harder than other shows and a lot of times those shows that are harder it's like um, it's the audience that makes it easy almost because they get into it so much that you you just you just have a great time you don't have to worry about getting them into it they're already into it, so you you just float on top of it and have fun. <laughs> Doing a tour in the islands, a bunch of shows there, and then straight back across uh, Western Canada, basically. Yeah, for until September. Yeah, here in uh, Vancouver, uh, they can check you out. At um, often you play at, at uh, Cafe Se du Soleil. September 10th, we'll be playing. September 10th at the um, the Legion Hall upstairs on Commercial Drive. So that's uh, I think that's Commercial and Six, and it's going to be a big show. Work less party is involved with that show. Oh. Yeah, so it's going to be a big party, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much our only Vancouver show. This um, might even not sure if I'll have any shows the rest of the year. So that'll probably be our only Vancouver show in the year. September 10th, Friday night. Friday night. <laughs> yeah, so uh, listeners, mark that day down on your calendar. Friday night at the Legion. Legion Hall, it's upstairs. Upstairs, that's uh, September 10th. Yep. On a Friday night, you get to catch the live performance up there on the Legion. Yeah, it's a big stage, so yeah, yeah. perfect for four. Your band, thanks for taking the time to do this interview. I can see you're worn out from last night's amazing show. I'm ready to bounce. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, we were just speaking to the lead vocals uh, performer for Blackberry Wood, Chris Mitchell. Thanks for your time. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Well, I'd take you to the country fair, not a single care. I'd go anywhere. Thanks to Nick Panu for that report. I'm just looking at the uh, MySpace page for Blackberry Wood, and it looks like on September 5th, uh, there's something called Flying Carpet Festival in Clark Park in Vancouver. Um, so you may be able to see them there uh, as well. Okay, so uh, we're going to take one more little break, and um, we'll just wrap up the show after that. At Dunkin' Donuts, each and every radio show is brewed fresh and served fresh at the peak of its flavor. If you're a tough customer, only the taste of this radio show will do. So go ahead, let Dunkin' Donuts make your radio experience exquisite. Indeed. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts, serving sweet treats from the pop underground. Thursdays, noon to one.
Here's some more uh, hot news, hot and fresh off the presses. Well, it came out yesterday, but um, still reverberating. C7, the popular marketing campaign to promote independent theatre in Vancouver, has been suspended, according to the Vancouver Sun. C7 Performing Arts Society co-founder Diane Brown announced this week that after 13 years, the program will be cancelled for the 2010-2011 season because many of its member companies have been severely affected by government cuts to arts funding. Um, the groups uh, involved in C7 uh, were Felix Culpa, Pie Theatre, Ruby Slippers Theatre, Rumble Productions, Solo Collective, and Theatre uh, Conspiracy. And um, while C7 itself um, apparently is, is, uh, is all right, the, a lot of the companies in the group have been severely affected by the, uh, the, by the cuts. Um, in the article, Felix Culpa Artistic co-director David Bloom says his small company was turned down for a BC Arts Council grant, quote, as, as were many of our colleagues, we're just hunkering down and trying to figure out whether we have a future. Um, this comes uh, fresh off the heels of the uh, resignation of um, the head of the BC Arts Council, Jane uh, Danzo, who uh, resigned in disgust two weeks ago to a government-run legacy fund for post-Olympic parties each February. Did that make sense, that last part? Suspending C7 was a provincial government's decision to transfer control of arts funding from the BC Arts Council, where Chair Jane Danzo resigned in protest two weeks ago to a government-run legacy fund for post-Olympic parties um, each February. Right. So that's why she resigned, because uh, the government was transferring money and uh, screwing around, basically. And, uh, right. So yeah, that's uh, that's f- some sad news. That's uh, fresh off the press, and we are indeed sorry to hear it. We hope the, that these companies can go on. Um, I know that uh, I certainly saw some shows last year, uh, thanks to, to C7 and uh, the way that they sort of cleverly, um, you know, combined the the powers of the individual small companies into a sort of um, a larger promotional force, um, and they offered you know uh, season tickets and and that sort of thing, um, and we're we're quite successful as far as I know. They certainly have won a lot of awards for their work. So we hope the individual companies can uh, can go on. Um, some other news to tell you about. Uh, not so much news, but um, tell you about some things that we have upcoming um, on the show at the Arts Report. Uh, we did spill the beans and announced today, you heard it, that uh, we'll be doing a live show from the Fringe Festival in a couple of weeks. We'll certainly have a lot more uh, French com- coverage in the uh, the weeks ahead. The uh, the arts email here at CITR has been um, has been bursting at the seams with um, with plays and performers at the fringe. Um, you know, looking for uh, looking for some coverage, and we're happy to oblige. And we'll be doing that in the next uh, little while. But uh, yeah, we're we're planning a live broadcast from the festival, and uh, we're hoping to to uh, sort of shake it up and and have uh, have fun on the streets on the street of Granville Island. We will be uh, near the box office for the Fringe on um, Wednesday at 4 p.m. Uh, in the middle of the festival, the Wednesday the 15th. And um, we're hoping to um, have some some of the performers uh, give us uh, some interviews and a taste of their shows, as well as just regular arts uh, coverage, you know, from from um, from dance and um, film 
theater uh, musicians, et cetera, et cetera. We'll have uh, those folks on the show, and you can come down to Granville Island and watch, participate. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll get some some swag, CITR swag, to uh, to give away to people. We uh, we're going to try to interview uh, passersby and see what uh, shows they're seeing and uh, what they like so far. Maybe even get up to some some hilarious antics and hijinks. Um, can't can't uh, I can't go any further than that, but but perhaps some some hijinks could uh, take place. Um, so that'll be great. But uh, in the meantime, uh, we also have um, we're going to have uh, on next week's show uh, uh, an interview about the play Life in the Theater, which is going to happen at uh, the Playhouse. And uh, I'd like to tell you quickly about that. Right, the theater co-op. Um, presents A Life in the Theatre. The Vancouver Theatre summer season comes to an end with a very special show. Ryan Beale and David Bloom both won Jesse Richardson Awards in June. Fittingly, they are now working together on a labor of love, five years in the dreaming. David Mamet's melancholy comedy, A Life in the Theatre, that will play in the recital hall of the Vancouver Playhouse, August 29th, 30th, and September 2nd through uh, the 5th. Uh, The play, excuse me, from the author of Glen Gary Glen Ross and Speed the Plow, takes us into the lives of two actors, John, young and rising into the first flush of his success, the other, Robert, older, anxious, and beginning to wane. In a series of short, spare, and increasingly raw exchanges, we see the estrangement of youth from age and the wider, inevitable, and endless cycle of life in and out of the theater. And uh, what's really cool about this is that they've, um, they, they didn't have uh, one director on the show in instead they they got um some of vancouver's um most talented uh directors and artists to uh sit in on rehearsals and uh sort of collaboratively collaboratively um put together uh the scenes so it should be a very interesting uh show and we'll have an interview uh on that uh, next week's show all right, so uh, my voice is failing. I apologize. Uh, so I think it's time to wrap up. Um, if you haven't uh, subscribed to our podcast yet, you should do that. That's at catr.ca. You can find uh, the Arts Report under Shows and Podcasts, you, and uh, you can subscribe to us there. And um, other than that, uh, join us uh, next week. All right, if you want to get in touch, arts at citr.ca is the, uh, is the best way to reach us. We do have a phone line here in the newsroom, but as you heard, with all that clacking and interviewing going on in the newsroom, uh, we don't often have time to answer the phone. So really, uh, email is the best way. So arts at citr.ca is, uh, is the best way to reach us. Uh, we'll leave you with uh, a little bit more of Blackberry Wood. This song is called Wayfaring Stranger. Thanks uh, for listening. Real to Real is next.